Welcome to the sermon podcast from North Decatur United Methodist Church, where all are welcomed and included, connected with God and with one another, and sent out in service and invitation to the world. Each week we bring you the most recent sermon from me, Patrick Fallhaber, or from guest preachers. Thank you for listening and subscribing. So who here is uh, familiar with the Festival of Booths? Okay. Tell Chris if you were pointing at Barbara or raising your hand. What? <laughs> we'll ask Barbara. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> the the festival of booths. I saw some hesitant hands. The festival of booths is uh, a harvest celebration. It's the first harvest celebration. So in the spring, after the fields had been planted, the people, the faithful people, the Jewish people living in the first century were called, they were um, called to celebrate the festival of booths by bringing their first harvest to the temple to be offered up as a sacrifice. Cool, right? I think that's cool. The idea that faithful people would devote so much of their first fruits to something that's beyond them speaks so much about such a transformed and transformative faith and trust in what God is doing. Right? I don't, I don't know about you, but I rarely give the first thing that I get to somebody else. I like to save up to hold on, to make sure there's enough for me, and then maybe I can think about being generous with the people around me. Am I alone here? Am I just confessing? Yeah, maybe I am. I, I probably am. But I, I lack that basic instinct of trust that is sort of taught out in the Festival of Booths. I am never one to give up my first harvest. In fact, when we had our first blueberries appear in our blueberry bush, you better believe that we saved them for ourselves and not, we did not allow the birds to eat them. We harvested early so that the birds wouldn't eat them and, and... We did not give them, even to the cute children living next door. They are our blueberries. They are the first fruits of our labor. They're mine. So the Festival of Booths is a radically different symbol for a way to live life. Wholly devoted to the life-giving power of God that's beyond us. The Festival of Booths is a celebration of God's abundance that meets us when it's easy and meets us when it's hard. The Festival of Booths is a reminder that the things that we have, the things that we get, the things that are handed to us, are handed to us by a loving creator. And so offering them back to the hands of a loving creator reminds us that the things of this world are not mine to hold on to, or to use a heavier word, not mine to hoard. The festival, does anybody even know why I'm talking about the Festival of Booths? Cool. So this is just Patrick being weird. Um, I can receive that. That's okay. So today, as much as it's Pentecost, 
Pentecost is the Festival of Booths. It's the same time frame. In fact, if you were to look at the calendar, the Festival of Booths goes from June 4th to June 6th this year. We are smack dab in the middle of the Festival of Booths. So uh, happy Festival of Booths to you. Uh, I hope that you have returned your first harvest back into the hands of God. Amen. (laughs) We're right in the middle of the festival of booths, and Pentecost always comes at the festival of booths. Pentecost is not happening in an isolated moment of history. Pentecost is a is God joining in with a long-standing symbol of faithfulness in the midst of chaos. And it's helpful for us, I think, to remember the history of Pentecost to understand why it is so important to us. Let's think about religiosity uh, throughout history for just a second. Many of us in this room and beyond it, our spirituality is my own. It is my faith in God. It is my personal relationship with Jesus. It is my experience of the Holy Spirit. It is my uh, daily devotions to prayer and reading scripture and all these things that transform my life so that my life can be more fruitful and I might be able to live more abundantly. Is that familiar to anybody? It is my faith. It is my God. It is my prayer. And when my prayer doesn't come the way that I want my prayer to be responded to, I am mad about God's absence in my life. All about me. And so people's faith is often rocked to the core when God doesn't show up for me. So the Festival of Booths, right, is a reminder to us, symbolically and really, that our faith, the gifts that we receive from God, are not mine to hold on to, but in fact are ours to be shared. So, like, the, 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 the symbol is so powerful, right? So do you remember what's happening at the end of the Gospel of Luke? What are the disciples doing? Hiding in an upper room, talking together about their faith, right? They're praying together. They're reading scripture together. Scripture describes a really beautiful display of insulated, isolated community, right? And so from that place where they're hiding in an upper room, they, on during the festival of weeks, They, again, they've received the Holy Spirit, right? Jesus has said the Holy Spirit will come. All these things are happening, and they are isolated and insulated by themselves inside the upper room. And then during the middle of the festival of weeks, those disciples take their first steps outside of the upper room. And what happens? Everything happens. 
they lose their capacity to communicate with one another, right? This is why they look drunk, right? Because suddenly they walk outside and rather than speaking in a way that fellow Galileans would understand, they're speaking in languages that they have never, ever been able to communicate in before. So now they're no longer capable of speaking to the other disciples gathered in the upper room. They are only capable of speaking to people that they have never met about the power of God's transforming love in the world through the person of Jesus. The Spirit literally forces them to take what they thought of as their own. The Spirit forces them outside of the door to share it with the world. And so, like, they go outside, I imagine they're sort of, like, whispering to each other, and then suddenly their voice changes And they start stumbling around in awe that, like, suddenly they can't even understand what they're saying anymore. But, like, is this making sense? Like, the chaos of this moment? Like, this is absolute insanity. But that's what the Spirit does. The Spirit gives the disciples an through an ancient symbol that they were very accustomed to of of returning the first harvest back to the hands of God, the Spirit treats the disciples as that first harvest, and rather than allowing them to continue to just be insulated and isolated with God's love all to themselves, hoarded together, even if it's out of fear, the Spirit breaks into that and then offers these 11 or 12, depending on how you think about timing, 11 or 12 disciples back into God's hands to continue the that Jesus started to bring healing into the world, to feed a, uh, a starving world, both in spiritual terms and in physical terms, to build community where community had been fractured for too long, to support people who had been pushed to the margins because that's what community is supposed to do. The Spirit, the Spirit uses the disciples as the first grain offering into the world so that it would be multiplied in Jerusalem and in all the world beyond it by the telling of this simple, sacred story that God loved the world so much that he was willing, that God was willing, that she was willing to be in it with us, experiencing the hardships of it, experiencing the pain of it, experiencing the life-giving and hilarious moments of it so that God could have shared compassion with us to bring new life to us so that all the world might be transformed through love. And yet, what do we do? I was at annual conference this week. We had eight, by the way, people at annual conference this year. That's amazing. That's a lot of people from North Decatur at annual conference. We had three resolutions three resolutions that were built around the idea of holding property for ourselves. You see what I'm, what I'm getting at here? What do we do as a church? We come into spaces that we think of as being sacred and we receive our own personal nourishment from God and then we go out into the world to just 
experience whatever the world has in store for us for the next couple of weeks. And then we go back to church and we settle back in and we receive again. And we start to think of the spirit as just one aspect of what the spirit is. What are the names of the spirit? Can you remember, like, what, what does the spirit do? And you can actually talk to me. That's okay. What does the spirit do? Comforts, yes. Directs. Inspires, I love it. What else does the spirit do? Empowers, I love that. Counsels, yes. Challenges, yes. I love this. This is exactly what the Spirit does. The Spirit does each of those things. The Spirit counsels and challenges and directs and inspires all of these things but, and comforts us. But I think in our churches, and I don't mean this, I'm not talking about any person here. Um, <laughs> I think many of us have started to think of the Spirit as just the comforter. Maybe I'm wrong here, but I think there's been such an important role of the spirit playing comforter, especially in our community here at North Decatur, where you don't even need to raise your hand. The number of people in this room who have been harmed by churches manipulating what the spirit and scripture says is significant. And I won't force you to put yourself on the spot, but I know there is pain in this place from poorly used religion. And so thinking of the Spirit as the comforter has been and is an essential reminder to us of what the Spirit is doing. Period. And, and, all that's true, and we are called to also respond to the rest of what the Spirit does. So as we receive comfort, it's not just for we need to go through a process of healing. We need to go through a process of building new life. That's really important. And from that place of comfort, from that place of safety, from that place of learning to love ourselves for who we are, from that place of learning to know that God loves us as we are, we also are called to respond its subtle and intentional nudges forward. So that we're not just comforted, but that that comfort allows enough space in our lives to be able to offer that comfort into the rest of the weary world around us. It's both. We receive the nourishment of God, and then from that abundance, and from the first harvests of it, we're able to turn back around and offer love and support and care within the rest of the world around us. If we spend too much time here, we burn out or we get angry or whatever the case may be. If we spend too much time here, we never build relationships with the community around us for transformation. We need to be in both places, receiving the nourishment from the Spirit of God and going out in service to the world that needs this reminder. We receive the Spirit and then we learn the new language of our culture we receive the spirit and then we start one asking the questions about why some people are hungry and others have too more than they need we receive the spirit and then we start asking questions about why we're willing to let uh, the privileges of being a police officer make it okay that children are uh, are are um, 
I know there are kids in the room, and I'm trying to acknowledge that too, but like, it is a dangerous world out there. We need to receive the Holy Spirit, and then we need to ask questions about why some neighborhoods in our own city here have an interstate running through the middle of it, and some neighborhoods don't. We need to receive the Holy Spirit, and then we need to go out and uh, ask questions about about why all of these things that keep us separated from one another and seem to be political rather than religious are so intertwined with our faithful lives. We can't just do one or the other. And those first disciples had a, I think, terrifying reminder of that reality. Stepping out into the world, knowing nothing about the people that you're speaking with, trusting that the Spirit will lead you in those interactions, not to create greater division, but in order to call unity within a diverse, beautiful, sacred world. Do you see what the church can be if we let ourselves be led and directed as much as we are comforted by the Spirit? Do you see, like the prophet Joel, when children and elders are able to speak boldly and dream boldly of a world that's different than what it is now, not in a way that creates division, but in a way that calls the world to order. Does anybody remember the first thing the Spirit does in our whole Bible? First chapter of Genesis. Creation, the Spirit of God brings order out of chaos. In our lives, in our world, in our communities, in order to get to faithful order, some chaos and disorder needs to be named and transformed so that the dark, swirling waters of the primordial soup that existed before we can begin to see life springing forward again. Dream. Hope that you I hope that you receive well and then nourish the world around you from that reception. That will be the church, capital C, church's legacy, if we allow ourselves to be transformed by the Spirit who calls us into discomfort in order to create order, unity, grace, and peace through the heart and compassion of God. May it be so in my lifetime and in yours. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon from North Decatur United Methodist Church. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. And if you want to learn more about our church, 
you can visit us at ndumc.org.